You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Shiny. Do you like it? Nah. Yeah, we just wear wear we wear what we're told to wear. Uh, I'm not a designer, man. I got no comment on the helmets. This ain't good. No. Uh, we come back next uh, week, uh, ready to f- go. And turn it up a notch. <laughs> good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Let's turn it up a notch. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. They pay the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Got a lot to get into on the show today. We got a big guest list. We got a giveaway. We got a Canucks game tonight. Uh, Guest list begins at 6.30. Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast is going to join us. What else are we going to talk to Jeff about? Hockey, that's what. 7 o'clock, Ryan Wolstadt, first-time guest on the program. We've been very neglectful in our NBA coverage, specifically our Raptors coverage. Ryan is the Raptors and NBA beat writer for the Toronto uh, Toronto Sun. So we'll talk to Ryan at 7 o'clock. But what the Raptors do from here. Do they try and sneak into the play-in tournament as the 10th seed, or do they tank? Mm-hmm. They tank the season. We'll talk to Ryan Wolstad about that at will, 7 o'clock. Will Ryan have any insight on what's going on in Milwaukee as well? We should yes. ask him. Yeah. That was pretty crazy because uh, Adrian Griffin, former Toronto Raptors assistant yesterday, was fired by the Milwaukee Bucks. It's the third shortest head coaching tenure in NBA history mm-hmm. because he was hired this offseason. To kind of right the ship in Milwaukee. And they're doing okay, aren't they? Okay. They the second best record in the NBA. Right. Okay. Not good enough, though. So we'll talk to Ryan about that at 7 o'clock. 7.30. Uh, we've had him on the show before. Excited to get him back, especially now, given that we're into the meat of the NFL offseason. Randy Mueller is going to join the program. Uh, former general manager of the Miami Dolphins. Former general manager of the New Orleans Saints. He now works for The Athletic. Uh, we can talk to him about all these coaching vacancies. You know what I really want to ask him? What makes a good job specifically? What makes a good owner? And I think more importantly, what makes a bad owner? He wrote about this a lot Mm -hmm. in The Athletic, talking about all these vacancies across the league. So we'll talk to Randy Mueller about that at 7.30. Uh, We do have a giveaway. As mentioned, we have a pair of tickets to give away to the Canucks and Blue Jackets game. If you want to see the Columbus Blue Jackets... Well, okay, if you want to see the Vancouver Canucks, uh, last game before the All-Star break, January 27th, that's this Saturday. We are giving away a pair of tickets, Canucks, Blue Jackets, to the best what we learned. And we should mention that we got an extra long what we learned segment today. It stretches the whole hour from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock. So let's have lots of what we learned. There are Canucks tickets on the line. It's a Saturday night game. Uh, it's against Columbus, but still... 
It's a Canucks game. We we sell we sell the Canucks now, not the visiting team. Unlike and, before, it's like you know you get to see Connor McDavid. That's but true. But you got to admit that's pretty nice when you could sell your own team. You don't have to pump yeah. up the other team. Exactly. I like that. Okay. As a matter of fact, there's a game tonight. We can pump up the home team. The Canucks will take on the Blues seven o'clock from Rogers Arena. Reminder: pre, post, and the actual game. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650. Working in reverse on the guest list. Seven thirty. Randy Mueller. Seven o'clock. Ryan Wolstat. Six thirty. Jeff Merrick. We got a bunch to get into. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. And turn it up a notch. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was. What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. On Tuesday, the Canucks went back to practice following their win over Chicago on Monday night. Uh, two big storylines emerged from practice on Tuesday. One of them is that they were wearing shiny blue buckets. The more important one, I think, is that the lotto line and the future of the lotto line was discussed in great detail by head coach Rick Tockett. Why don't we just go to the audio straight away here? Because Tockett was asked by Sportsnet's very own Ian McIntyre about the lotto line, who has been a group that has been ineffective over the last few games, at least in terms of... The eye test, they did score a couple goals on the power play against Toronto on Saturday night. But the bigger question here, and it's really a classic, is do you mess with a good thing? Because the Canucks are 9-0-1 in their last 10. Those are pretty good numbers, mm-hmm. I would say. They're not Oilers numbers, but they're they're pretty good. That's true. They're not Oilers numbers. The bar is high now, folks. Or do you keep them together because, you know, winning games? Uh, here's what Rick Tockett had to say about the current state of the lotto line following Tuesday's practice. Well, I think they've struggled the last three, four games. You know, I don't think you know, they, they, they. I don't think they're happy with their play either. You know, that Saturday night game, they were. I thought they were okay again. So, I, you know, like I told you guys, I'm, I'm not sure how long I would keep that line together. Um, but it's we're not. What, I mean, nine zero and one since we put them together. So um, that's helped. But we'll see if I play them tomorrow. I don't know. We, we'll talk to the coaches about it. It does help that you go nine zero and one over a ten game stretch when the line is together. Um, you know, he also added if they're doing the job defensively, if you're controlling play, you don't always have to score. But the one good thing is they could be struggling a little bit, but they've come up with some big goals too. When lines struggle, sometimes they don't do anything. At least they're coming up with some big goals. They're playing average, but they've raised the bar. So we'll see if we keep it together. Um, they're probably going to keep it together tonight if they practice with it. I sure feel like they will, but talk it might be prepared to break it up. The thing is, you also have to consider the other lines. This last game that they played, the Kuzmenko line with Mikheyev and Suter was good. I call it the Suter line. They, they scored the first two goals, right? Well, uh, Quinn Hughes scored a second one, but point taken. Well, the line was out there, though. Yes. And Kuzmenko was doing good work on the play. Mikheyev made a nice play on that as well. He went in there to support the puck. He got it to Quinn Hughes, who made the play. You know, for all the people criticizing Mikheyev, was it a big play? Not not particularly, but it was a smart play, and it led to a goal. Um, then the other two lines were, you know, again, the, the Bluger line, are you going to break that up with Joshua and Connor Garland? And the fourth line, Nils Amon, Sam Lafferty, and Nils Hoaglander, they were really good against the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, granted, it was the Chicago Blackhawks, but 
you know, the Chicago Blackhawks were good enough to make the lotto line average. So it's a tough situation in a good environment for Rick Tockett. You're kind of like, oh, my top line is struggling, but we're winning these games. So do I really want to mess with this right now? Um, I, I want just, here's here's the thing here's my here's my thing like let's if 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 I'm the lotto line and I want to stay together and who knows maybe they don't want to you know like they don't seem to love to talk about the lotto line it's right it's a good point uh so I don't know maybe they don't want to stay together who knows um but if I want to stay together um, I'm just going to go out there tonight and play well. You know, well, put it on the players to play well. If they don't, I think I think you should break it up because it's too important. It's too important not to have your top six going. I think there's a couple things to consider here. One is the schedule. There's a very obvious time and a break, if you will, in the schedule where Tockett can ride out the current line formations as constructed. They go into the All-Star break and come back out with a fresh new look when they get off or get back on the ice after a week apart. That seems to be the most logical way or time to do it because he did bring up a good point, and it's not even that good of a point. It's just a very obvious point. They haven't had a regulation loss in 10 games. Like, say what you will about whether the line looks effective or isn't effective. The fact of the matter is, is that if you win 9 of 10, the team, as currently constructed, is effective. Now, could it be more effective? Potentially, Yes. But what, do you, what are you going to say? Could you win games even more thoroughly? Could you dominate even more thoroughly? That's the big question there. I think the other part of this is... Don't you think it's also going to determine what the Canucks do at the trade deadline? This whole lot of line thing? Yeah, like, for me, if I never... If together, you, you go out and get another center. Right. If not, I, maybe you go out and get another winger. But I never saw it as being a something that was going to stick together for the long term. Because logistically, the other formation makes sense. When Miller slips into the 2C, it just gives you more versatility. I think it gives you more strength down the middle. I mean, oh, all, yeah. the only problem was that Pedersen had no one to play with. I know. And that's the other part of this Not is, no one, but, you know. is Kuzmenko going to be able to return to some semblance of the player? You can't say the player that he was last season mm-hmm. because you don't want the things that he was doing last season because there was obviously some deficiencies there. Exactly. So is he going to be able to become the kind of player that can play with Pedersen on a top line with regularity and be effective? That's really the question. In the playoffs. In the playoffs. And that's what you're looking for, right? Like, all due respect to a midweek game against uh, the AHL Farm Club of the Chicago Blackhawks, which is what a lot of that was, let's be dead honest. That's great that he had the production in the first period, and it's great that he got a start at the end of the game, and it's great to talk it through him out there to protect a 2 nothing lead. Mm-hmm. But, you know, no one thought that Chicago was mounting a serious challenge in that game. Yeah. They had some pretty decent looks in the third period, yes, but that game felt pretty comfortable. It felt like a pretty comfortable situation to throw Kuzmenko into. Uh, the chrome blue helmets. Let's just talk about it for a dog's sake. Sure. Because a dog is a Why little child. Well, you I feel like stuff, you love you? this stuff. I was actually saying it, Laddie, before the show, helmets don't really do much for me. I don't really care what they look like, as long as they oh. don't look like the Golden Knights eyesores. Like, they can't be like the shiny gold ones. Yeah, other, you, other than that, I don't really care too much. Yeah, I hate the LA and Vegas. Oh, they're the worst. Yeah. They're garish. They're eyesores. Uh, I didn't mind the Canucks blue chrome helmets. Yeah, I'm not, it's fine. It's fine. I don't like a homer to me. It's I don't like no, the they, No, they just, they, they, they're they shiny. Look, yeah. They, I think they look a little less garish. Yeah. Like, I they're a little subtler. Them. I wouldn't choose them, but I, I don't, when I, when I watch, uh, LA and Vegas play, I'm like, this is, this is, 
this is dumb yeah. that they're out there. It distracts from the out. actual game. Yeah, I don't think the Canucks helmets would. No. I'm trying to understand. JT the... Miller clearly doesn't like them. He, he does like not. Them. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Tr- I'm trying to understand the impetus behind the chrome buckets across the league. I don't yeah, know if this know. If, it, if it's a visual thing. If Did someone... Vegas start it or LA start it? That's a good question. I'm not sure. Vegas must have started but it. But you kind of can... Maybe Here's the, the kids like it. On a, on a certain level, you can understand why Vegas... And Los Angeles did it because gold and silver are often associated with bling, yeah, and with shiny and with you know grills, chains, diamonds, rings. And Vegas, is, Vegas especially, like Vegas is a flashy town. They need a grill mouth guard to yeah, go I was with say, these they should, shiny. Well, they should let them wear actual grills, yeah. right? Like, yeah, with the connection should all come <laughs> and out, and the grills should say their last names on them. Well, like, that's right, in rubies across their teeth. Yeah, I think we've done just about enough. We've done just about enough of the chrome bucket analysis here. We should talk about tonight's opponent, the St. Louis Blues, and it's interesting because the St. Louis Blues, you put it as they're just sort of meandering and middling their way along, which is accurate. They are uh, three points out of the playoffs. They sit uh, not one spot out, but two spots out from behind the final wild card uh, holder, which is the Nashville Predators. In between them sits the plucky Arizona Coyotes, who have actually won a couple games in a row now after losing to Vancouver. They've gotten better under new head coach Drew Bannister. You have to say that. In the 16 games under Bannister, they're 10-6-1. They've got a points percentage of nearly 600, so they're better. Yet nobody seems to be really enthused about the Blues, quote-unquote, turning their season around under Drew Bannister, and that includes the people that cover the Blues. You know who wasn't very enthused with the Blues turnaround? Uh, Calgary Flames fans last night. So there was that. Uh, If you missed it, the Flames looked as though they were on their way to victory against the St. Louis Blues last night. They got out to a, I don't want to say comfortable, but it felt comfortable having watched a game 3-1 lead over the Blues, and then the Blues scored three unanswered goals, <laughs> including the game winner by Brandon Saad with 48 seconds left, a goal that Jacob Markstrom, who I don't know if you saw his post-game media availability, he was wearing a hat. He looked like he had never worn a baseball hat before in his life. It was perched so to- far atop his head. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what was going on. I Little tried, league style, like not even. It was backwards and it was on top. It kind of looked like a beanie. I don't know what was going on. Uh, I don't know if it just you know someone <laughs> threw it on him at the last second. But Markstrom tried to take ownership of the goal for the Flames, which cost them big time because they need points desperately. They well, couldn't even get that thing into overtime. That's three losses in a row, right? Because yeah. they lost to the Leafs when they went there, and then they lost the Battle of Alberta on Hockey Day in Canada. You were kidding. It was and, on top of his head. You see it? Yeah. I was trying to get a screen grab yesterday. It looked very I'll strange. send it to our group. That's, uh, so when are the Flames going to start selling? It's you know right like this. Well, you want to talk about meandering? Isn't that, isn't that the only? Isn't that the only thing that's worth talking about with this Calgary Flames team? Like they're, where are they in the standings? They got, they're just what hanging around with. Well, everyone? the reason the reason I introduced hanging the around with the Blues. The reason I introduced tonight's opponent, the St. Louis Blues, in the manner that I did is because it actually kind of dovetailed into the Calgary Flames conversation. In that they're very similar. They're just sort of meandering along, where they'll string together two or three wins and they'll scratch out a point in overtime of the shootout and then they'll lose three in a row, which is the streak that they're on right now. Uh, They're right in that mushy middle. Still relatively tight points-wise with all those teams, but all those teams, the big issue is you have to leapfrog so many of your other middling teams just to get into the spot where Nashville is. And I'm not sure that Calgary... Has it, especially since there's such huge decisions for Craig Conroy on the horizon with you, all these unrestricted free do you agents? Think they, do you think 
it is a huge decision or it should be a huge decision for Craig Conroy on whether or not to bring Elias Lindholm. Feels like it is. Like he's not It feels like it is how, because of Kadri and because of Huberdo. Yeah, but don't you think it would just be absolutely foolish to sign this guy to a long term contract? To what do you remember what they were tossing around for Lindholm? It was like the Horvat comparison. Yep, that's kind of what the standard is for he's, what he might get. He's 29 years old. How many points does he have this season? Like he's not he's not having a good year and a lot of people, yeah, he's got 31 points in 47 games. He's a minus 8. He's not this is he doesn't have those numbers that he had a couple of seasons ago. He's getting older mm-hmm. and you're going to lock him into a big contract in Calgary? It seems like an obvious trade situation and frankly if I'm Lindholm I'm probably thinking, hmm, God, if I had something on the table a little while ago, maybe I should they're have signed a, it because my contract year is not going like Horvat's contract year did. They're a very strange team in terms of how they're going right now because you'd say that the two highest-paid guys and the two most high-profile guys are probably Lindholm and Huberto just based on money, right? Because Lindholm's going to get paid, and Huberto already did. They are not near the top of the team in terms of scoring. Their best player this year has been Blake Coleman. If you want to look at it, he's been fantastic. And if you look at that, then you're saying, well, our best players right now, at least in terms of point production, are Coleman. And then Nazem Kadri's actually had a nice turnaround to his year, right? And you're saying, well, these are two veteran guys that we kind of secured long term. Are we going to or can we even go through any semblance of a rebuild with these guys leading the charge? Yeah, but you don't want to throw good money after bad. Well, they already have. Well, the, stop then. Yeah. I you mean, know, and that it, could it, be it, Conroy's MO is like, I was brought in to not throw good money after bad. I, I assume that at a certain point, they're going to wave the white flag on this season. Maybe it'll come mm-hmm. at the trade deadline or sorry, at the trade deadline at the all-star break where everyone in Calgary just finally takes a sit look back and is like, okay, wonder, what are we doing here? I wonder how many things happen at the break. I wonder about the flames. I wonder about the penguins. Do they look at where they are right now and what's been going on? And did they make uh, a decision on Jake Gensel? Uh, Cause there are some teams that like to do these deals well in advance of the trade deadline. And you might get a better return if you acquiesce to those, to that timing. Um, now I still feel like the penguins could make the playoffs. Like I think the penguins are a better team than the flames. Or at least I think they have a better chance of making a run than the Flames if they get into the playoffs. Um, I don't know. I might be wrong about that, but I I, I just I think they do. Um, the other one is obviously, and I know Drager was reporting that he expects Pedersen to at least meet with his agents in Toronto during right. the All Star game. I mean, it is. Toronto, right? Those agencies have offices in Toronto. They have a presence in Toronto. So are we going to see anything out of that? Um, I don't know at this point. You know what? I don't even know if Pedersen's agents know. I think the line from Pedersen has just been after the season, after the season. But we all know what Pat Brisson said. It's possible to negotiate during the season, so we'll follow that one. So on the heels of the Calgary Flames conversation, the other team in Alberta, uh, there's no real question about what direction the Edmonton Oilers are going in. That is up and up and up the standings. They won their 14th consecutive game. It's funny 
When Jay Woodcroft got fired, I think I jokingly said the Oilers are going to have to rip off something like, I don't know, a 14-game win streak. Well, they've managed to do that thanks to a 4-1 victory against the Columbus Blue Jackets last night at Rogers Place in Edmonton. The Blue Jackets, of course, will be here on Saturday to take on the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, It wasn't even that good of a performance from Edmonton. They just sort of slogged it through 40 minutes and went into the third period, tied 1-1 with the Lowly Jackets, and then... They flipped the switch, three goals in the third. Evander Kane got the eventual game winner. And you look at the Edmonton Oilers right now, and there's a real question about who they're going to be able to catch in the standings, given how many teams they've already caught and surpassed. Yeah, sorry. I'm just reading some text messages into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and a lot of people are talking about, for the Canucks, getting a player like a Jake Gensel. Here's one. It would be good to get a player in earlier so they can figure out chemistry. If they get Gensel, it would be good to figure out what line combinations work best with him, get him to understand the system, etc. I I think there's really something to that. Get a player in a little bit earlier and 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 figure it out. Uh, but we can we can relook at this conversation later in the show. We got Ayrton lots Eck. of time. Ayrton uh Erickson Eck is yeah, that would be great long-term. Oh, so good. You know, long-term. He'd be, I, but that's going to cost a lot. Like, that is, that, that's, not getting, that's not getting Lindholm. I think the price for him would be even higher than, you know, Gensel, even though the price for Gensel's going to be high. Well, Eric Eck at least, you, is not a rental. Like, I, I, I'm fine if the cost is yeah. high if it's not a rental. And that's why I don't think the Wild are going to trade him, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's The Wild do happen. not sound like they are at all interested yeah. in going into seller mode. Russo had the report out there after Jared Spurgeon went down to injury that mm-hmm. they were looking at finding a rental defenseman to fill the gap as opposed to being, okay, maybe this isn't our year. Our captain's gone for the season. We're woefully underperforming. Now's the time to start selling off whatever we can. Doesn't sound like they're interested in doing it. And I do wonder if that has to do with the mentality of the general manager, Bill Guerin, who is very determined to make this season work. They already mm-hmm. went to the coaching change. He's already had the meetings with the players trying to snap them into gear. So I don't know what direction the wild's going to take but i would highly doubt that erickson x going to shake free uh as for the oilers there might be a discussion that we can have about whether or not the oilers could catch the canucks for the division lead i know a lot of you will look at the standings and say <laughs> there's a 13 point deficit between the canucks and the oilers the oilers have four games in hand remember the canucks played one of the heaviest schedules at the start of the season and that's good in a way for the Canucks because they're going to get more rest down the stretch. But it's bad because the Oilers are not losing any games. Yeah, they've won 14 in a row. <laughs> and, you know, if you look at their upcoming schedule, it's not all that hard. I think their next game is Chicago. Yeah, then they go into the break. Um, is it then right into the break? Okay, so they're probably going to win that one. That'd be awesome if Chicago broke <laughs> yeah, that streak. No kidding. That would be so good. Um, now, the Oilers are probably going to cool off a little bit, but... I would give the Oilers a 20-30% chance of catching the Canucks just because, um, listen, two two reasons. Everything's gone right for the Canucks in the first half of the season. You are know, you su- Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that they might not Canucks? Possibly. Are you suggesting possibly. that? How's the negativity? You know, Carson Soucy might be like, not everything's gone right for me. <laughs> it's true. But outside of that, a lot has gone right in terms of the health of the team and just how they're playing like they it's a credit to them for sure you know the uh, their resilience their their ability to reset after the odd bad performance uh it's definitely a credit to them but you know things have things have gone right for them um uh, number two 
I think that, unfortunately, that Oilers' terrible start that we were all enjoying and laughing about and that the Canucks very much contributed to with three wins over the Oilers, I hate to say it, but that thing is looking like a blessing in disguise for the Oilers right now. I think it gave them motivation that they didn't have. I think it just got them on the right track. They mm-hmm. changed the coach. A little adversity never hurts, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and and they had it, and it's a great reminder to that team that if you don't do the things that are important, if you get ahead of yourself, and I think that's kind of what happened to them. They got ahead of themselves. You know, sure. they were they were in training camp talking cup or bust, and everyone was picking them to win the cup, and they were they were talking about the you know the playoffs because they were so upset about what happened during the Vegas series. They thought that they they forgot that oh we got to prepare for the Vancouver Canucks for the first two games, and then mm-hmm. the Canucks dealing them that loss shook them right eight one, and then they play a little bit better, a lot better in game two against the Canucks, but they still find a way to lose. Like they were rat, they were a rattled team for like what a month and a half, but they've pulled themselves out of it in spectacular fashion. Yeah. And it's funny. People say like, we never saw this coming. It's like, yeah, but you know, some people kind of suggested that it was possible that the Oilers were perfectly capable of winning 10 in a row or 11 in a row and rattling it off. And that's why not many people like wrote them off after that start. Whereas you'd write off kind of a team that hadn't done it before like them. Like they'd had good regular seasons. They still had Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, some really good players on that team. So they were kind of like, yeah, they could do it. It's doubtful that they're going to do it, but they're doing it right now. And I think, unfortunately, that bad start is going to end up being a blessing in disguise for that team. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. We are Let's coming, go. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sophie, what are you waiting for? Kintech. We got an entire hour of what we learned here on the Halford and Bruff show on Sports. We're actually going to play the whole Four Quincy song just to eat up some time. This song's fire. Oh, and the Hammond kicks in there too. I always forget about this part because we don't have to like go go long enough. The what kicked in? The Hammond organ. The Hammond. Watch, Hammond. this isn't technically Hammond. It's a Hammond patch, but it's not a true Hammond. I'm getting technical now. I love it when you talk music. <laughs> it's like I learned something. I'm very, very unknowledgeable in the world of music. Okay, but you are. We know. Wow, well, a little bit. No, Andy. Okay. Don't undersell yourself. You're our musical expert. Also our serial expert. 
true. And if only I could combine the two. Yeah. Cereal, music, slippers. <laughs> okay, so we're a full hour of what we learned. That's so right. I'm going to kick it off. Um, I'm starting to read a lot of articles, articles about articles, articles, <laughs> articles about teams that should start to wave the white towel in terms of the playoffs, not the Canucks hosting a playoff game where the white towels will come out. Um, Eric Francis has one on sportsnet.ca. The headline is Flames playoff aspirations fading after faceplant loss at home. In case you missed it last night, the Flames had a 3-1 lead on the St. Louis Blues, the visiting St. Louis Blues, who the Canucks will play tonight. And the Blues scored three straight goals and beat the Flames in regulation. That included a late game winner. That's three straight losses for the Flames. They lost to the Leafs when they were out west. They lost to the Oilers in the Battle of Alberta uh, on Hockey Day in Canada. And again, last night, they lost to St. Louis. So we've all been wondering when Craig Conroy is going to start selling his pending UFAs like Elias Lindholm, whose name has come up in trade speculation here, as well as Chris Tanev, ditto for that. Um, we don't hear much about Noah Hannafin here, um, but that's another pending UFA that the Flames have to deal with. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, Rob Rossi, writing for The Athletic, has an article called The Penguins Aren't Stanley Cup Contenders. Enter Kyle Dubas. And... The crux of the article is, listen, this team is not a Stanley Cup contender. And Rossi writes, nothing that happens over a couple of home games before the All-Star break or a couple of weeks after it is going to turn them into one only nine months into a seven-year contract as hockey boss. General Manager Kyle Dubas shouldn't proceed as though he can transfer transform his first Penguins team into one capable of winning a championship. He can't. He can, however, aggressively begin the hard job of setting up the Penguins for future success, perhaps sooner than anybody would predict, maybe even next season. Now, if you go read the article, Rossi has a bunch of ideas uh, into how to do this, which starts with trading Jake Gensel and maybe even trying to get out of (laughs) Eric Carlson, uh, even though he just acquired Eric Carlson in Pittsburgh. Um, I don't know if I 100% agree with Rossi that they couldn't make a run in the play. A lot closer than I do, so I have to defer some um, of my opinion to his. Um, Jake Gensel is not going to re-sign with the Penguins. They're not going to be able to afford to keep him. Right. The question really is whether... You like if you trade Jake Gensel, you trade away your leading scorer. Yeah, I mean that's that's a big piece. The biggest that you'd be you'd be <laughs> trading away, right? I mean, Sid would be the biggest piece. I know, but they're um, not trading him. But I don't know. Like, do you think it's possible that Kyle Dubas, if he engages in, let's call it an aggressive retool, could transform this team? quickly enough so that you've still got Sidney Crosby as the best player on this team and a player that's capable of leading the team to a Stanley Cup. It seems like a very really tall difficult. order. How old is Sid now? 
35, 36. I want to say this. Um, I've thought about it a lot, and I don't necessarily... Yeah, 36. I don't necessarily agree with this, but this is what I think is going to happen. I, th- I, do, I don't think that they're going to trade Gensel by the deadline. You don't? No. I think, I think there's a great case to be made that they should. I can absolutely understand why they would. I don't think that they're going to. I just think that at the end of the day, the same guy that went out and acquired Eric Carlson is probably going to lean more towards we got to give it a shot. We got to give this season a shot. Yeah. I don't agree with it, but I think that's what's going to happen. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm not advocating for this. I could, I'm more than happy to play devil's advocate on the other side of it. I just, if I was to go with my gut feel right now and what I think is going to happen, I think they're going to let it ride and just try and make the playoffs. I think where I get stuck sometimes with the Penguins is that their underlying numbers are actually quite solid. Yeah, their goal Even their goal is differential is good. They're a plus 12 goal differential, but they just can't seem to get on a streak. And they have these moments like that game in Arizona where they, you know, scored on themselves. Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> that, one. That, that, that keep hurting them. And this is a team that, remember, last season didn't clutch up in the end and make the playoffs, although they probably should have clutched up and made the playoffs. Um, I thought the acquisition of Eric Carlson was a mistake. I didn't think they should do it. I thought cap space could be used in a much better way than Eric Carlson, especially when you've already got Chris Letang there. Like San Jose proved that. Mm-hmm. You don't want you want to have as many good players on your team as possible, but imagine if the Canucks went out and targeted a player that ran a power play really well. Right? And that player is a defenseman. Mm-hmm. What are you going to say? Quinn Hughes off the power play? Right. It's just, it's silly, right? Latang already did a pretty good job of that, I think. He's a good offensive defenseman, one of the best offensive defensemen of this generation. He's won Stanley Cups because so, of it. In light of that, Dubas went ahead and made the move anyway. Right? Yeah. that way. That's why I keep coming back to this is a team that is pushed. I mean, you want to use the poker analogy, just push all its chips in. Mm-hmm. So why now would you like, well, can we take some of those back? And, and, yeah, you know? I don't know. But do you think Rossi's hearing something? Possibly. In Pittsburgh? Maybe maybe Dubas's bosses are saying something. Who, I mean, it's who the knows, great debate. Right? It's the great debate in Pittsburgh. Right? Yeah. It's the most polarizing one, I think, even more so than Calgary. Could they make because a Because there's hot- so many more legendary players, all due respect to the guys in Calgary right now. Could, so many more legacies on the line there. If if they trade Gensel, is that officially it? Could the Penguins rally around that maybe? I think it would send a really bad message to the group. Like, yeah. Hey, we traded for Eric Carlson that, to put this team over the top. Now we're trading Jay Gensel. Rossi also um, notes in his article that Dubas would have to have a sit down with Sid. He's probably like, bright. Hey, man. He's like, probably bright and charismatic enough to sell it. But I don't know if to anyone. Sid, though, Sid, Sid, I don't know if anyone would genuinely buy it. Yeah. They could be like, "Sure, Kyle, that's great. It's the plan you have sounds great." Mm. But in the back of their minds, they're like, "You just traded away our leading score." Like, not only did they add Carlson, they made the decision, and this wasn't necessarily Dubis that did this, or it wasn't Dubis that did this, but they did bring back Malkin and Latang. Like, there was a legitimate debate about whether or not they should do that, and they gave those guys term and yep. big money. And, and they went and got Carlson. And then they went and got Carlson. So I'm like, well, now they're gonna like I'm with you. I, 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 I if if you're if you're in it, and you know they're still in the race there. 
Mm-hmm. But they just can't seem to string a bunch of wins together like the Edmonton Oilers have, or even like half of what the Edmonton Oilers did. Like a six or seven game winning streak would be nice for the Pittsburgh Penguins. At any rate, with the All-Star break coming up, what we learned is um, I think we're going to start seeing some teams admit that they're very selling. Okay, so mine kind of relates to that, but it's more along the lines of if you're going to try and give it one last push and make the playoffs and you want to go New York Islander style and have a big dramatic coaching change, well, Jar Gallant is interested in your job. Jar Gallant, who is going to tonight be serving as one of the honorary coaches at the CHL-NHL Top Prospects game, is doing the media rounds. And the media rounds include telling people that, hey, by the way, I'm available and wanting to coach. Uh, He told NHL.com that I think people know I'm available. I'm only 60 years old. They know I want to coach again. He then added, I'm a head coach, and I think I've done a pretty good job over the last 10 years. So if something comes out, you don't rule anything out. I only bring this up because there's one thing that Gerard Gallant has been good about over his coaching career. He's been able to get teams into the playoffs. He got Florida into the playoffs multiple times. He got Vegas into the playoffs in their first year in existence. Took all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And for all that he didn't do in the playoffs with the New York Rangers, he got the Rangers into the playoffs. He coached 60 different 60 games with three different teams in the playoffs. So if you are a team that is on the fringes and maybe sees your playoff lives flickering and Gerard Gallant is suddenly out there saying, hey, I'm willing to coach, I do wonder. What team if, comes to mind for you? The Toronto Maple Toronto, Leafs. yeah. I always get the sense, the and, I've, Maple and I've, right? always, I've said this before on the show, it feels like Sheldon Keefe is constantly just pleading with his players. He's like, come on, please, like, let, like play a way that makes me trust you. Mm-hmm. And some of that is um, his players that he's had a while, but a lot of it this season seems to be the new guys that he just has having trouble trusting. Sneaky one to keep your eye on, the Los Angeles Kings. So there have been, not rumblings, there's just been some real discontent coming out of Los Angeles over the last little bit. They've slipped into the second wild card spot. Right now, Los Angeles Kings are only four points clear of the Arizona Coyotes. The Arizona Coyotes for being out of the playoff picture. The Kings are 2-4-4 and in their last 10. Todd McClellan has spent the first half of this season, you want to talk about begging, he's begging Pierre-Luc Dubois to do something, right? They've kind of been, after that hot start, they've really fallen on hard times. Uh, I know Rob Blake did some media availability last week. He was asked about the future of the head coach. McClellan's been there for a while. McClellan's a good head coach. Mm -hmm. But when you have the expectations that the Kings have and you made the investment that you made into Dubois and it's not happening... You always look at the head coach because it's the easiest thing to change. So in the East, I'd say look at Toronto. In the West, I'd say look at Los Angeles. And I don't think it's a coincidence that NHL.com has a piece out there talking about, oh, look, this very decorated head coach who's taken the last three teams that he's coached to the playoffs is suddenly available and looking for a job. Yes, Greg. Everything's crumbling in L.A., but things are going great for Big Save Dave. I don't know if you saw his stats. He's got a 930 save percentage of 176 goals against average. See, that's important. This is the greatest day of his life. I'm glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people would have looked at Los Angeles and said, oh, well, the goaltending is the reason that they've sunk. No. It's not the goaltending, right? They're just not winning hockey games. So I would say if you want to start connecting the dots here, 
Gerard Glant suddenly puts his name out there for availability. He's like, hey, reporter guy, would you like to hear about me wanting a head coaching job again in the NHL? And then there's a couple of teams, because really there's a few ways that teams that are on shaky ground can go. As Jason said, they can either wave the white flag on the season to say we're not going to make the playoffs. It's time to start looking towards the trade deadline and selling. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, look at the New York Islanders. They said, no, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to hire Patrick Wong. We're going to try and rally the troops and make the playoffs. This is also the Glant thing is just a case of a coach trying to stay relevant. There's very few options for a coach when you're trying to stay relevant, taking things like coaching at the prospects game. I know how the Coaching game, the Spangler yeah. are the I, only ways you can stay relevant. I, why do you think Bruce Boudreaux went to the Spangler? Exactly. I know how the game is played. I know how coaches got to try and get their names back into the mix. And there's you look, this is a league where, because of the hard cap, sometimes making a coaching change is a lot easier than trying to tra- change the makeup of a team. Just something to keep your eye on is what we learned. There you have it. Moo cow me. A-Dog, we're going to turn the floor over to you because you are an NHL-related what we learned. Yeah, uh, Fridge tweeting this earlier. Uh, the Smith Entertainment Group, owners of the Utah Jazz, are asking the NHL to initiate an expansion process to bring a team to the state. Uh, the press release, to sum it up quickly, uh, they're the parent company of the Utah Jazz, Delta Center, Real Salt Lake, the Utah Royals, and several other Utah-based sports and entertainment ventures. They announced it's formally requested the NHL uh, initiate an expansion process with the ultimate purpose of bringing an NHL franchise to Utah. SEG has also made it clear it's immediately able to welcome an NHL team to Utah using Delta Center as an interim home arena for an NHL franchise. Yeah, so this is right. Yeah, they're going to build a new arena, hopefully for, uh, for their sake, for an NHL team, but also yeah. for the Olympics in like 2034, so a ways away. But my question is though, is there yes. is there a hockey appetite in Utah? Because it's not the first place I usually. I know there was salt, whatever the Olympics there, but it's not know. usually the first place I think of when There's I think a lot of, of NHL rich expansion. People. There's a lot of rich people in Utah. Ryan Smith is. Do they prob- like hockey though? Ryan Smith is probably <laughs> doesn't really matter. Ryan Smith is probably the most powerful person in Utah. <laughs> not knowing the political climate, I mean, he runs this massive sports conglomerate. Yeah, right. I think he, I would I would liken it maybe not as powerful, but like. Uh, the Cronky family in sure. in Denver. Denver yeah. Like they run everything. Yeah. This guy runs everything in, in mm-hmm. Utah. He has all the sports, right? And to add an NHL team to his cachet. Now you got to remember, it's maybe not necessarily is there a huge appetite for hockey, but what are they competing with? It's really just the jazz, mm-hmm. right? You don't, it's not like well, we, we've seen, we've seen teams go to markets where there isn't a traditional hockey fan base and be successful. You mean like, like Las Vegas? Like Las Vegas, Tampa Bay. I mean, the team has to be good, and if the team isn't good, you run into problems. And Nashville, I think, has turned into a pretty good hockey market. I don't think there's any reason why Salt Lake couldn't be a, a solid NHL market as long as they have good ownership, they have a good arena, and the team does well enough so that you're not – you know, the Florida Panthers for 20 years that had like one blip where they went to the Stanley Cup final and then nothing or the Columbus Blue Jackets who have never really done anything in their history in Columbus. And yet Columbus still draws fine. You know, they're still like a going concern. There's not like 4,000 people going to their games. They exist. Yeah. They exist. They exist. Yeah. Uh, Johnny, it's they funny. can still sell Johnny Gaudreau to sign there for some somehow. It's, it's funny because the press release also says there is a great hockey legacy in Utah. And then it goes on to list a very underwhelming hockey legacy in Utah. We had that, yeah, uh, yeah. that Olympics yeah. that one time. Remember right. that? And then they're like, we had an <laughs> IHL team. They're like, Did you know that we currently have an ECHL team? Yeah. We have this beer league team that operates one day a week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Great. Right. We actually uh, need more players for 
it if you know anyone. But one of the things that Gary Bettman always says about when they're going well, to the Well, there's three things. There's, there is the market. And as much as it's not just about like the, ho- the, the hockey fans in that market. Otherwise, Quebec City would have a team. It's the amount of people there, the amount of money that those people have to spend. And Utah is an interesting place, but there are a lot of people that are very successful, very rich there. Uh, and then you need the right owner, and then you need the right arena. And those two, it sounds like, will be checked off. Um, I don't know what the timing is for a new arena there, but I imagine if they were to get a hockey team, it could be the, the pace could be quickened up. Uh, it wouldn't just be like, well, well, wait till the Olympics. To build it, um, the um, the one the one thing that I wonder about is, do they have to deal with the Arizona situation before they even consider sure. expansion? Right, Salt Lake has always made sense to me as a as a relocation for the Coyotes because we don't know what's going to happen to the Coyotes. By all accounts, they've got until the end of the season to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they're going to figure it out. So we could be in a situation. It is possible we're in a situation where, do you remember how quickly Atlanta moved to Winnipeg? Mm -hmm. It was like, boom, end of the season, announced. When are they coming? Next season. Yeah, right. Like, you've got three. Winnipeg, you got your team back. Like, really? Right away? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, That is possible for the Coyotes, I imagine. I know they've gotten a, a deal with Mullen Arena, but like that's small potatoes. That 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 can be dealt with. The NHL doesn't want to be in Mullet Arena playing in front of four thousand fans with the revenue that's only coming from four thousand fans for any longer than they absolutely have to be. If the Coyotes don't have an arena deal, they're gonna move on this. Now, what could happen, and this would be very entertaining if it did, is I could see <laughs> I could see Arizona moving to Salt Lake, and then people would be like, well, Arizona will never get another hockey team than them getting an expansion team. Like, right. give them time to find the arena, do everything right, get the right owner, because I think they truly believe in that market, in a massive market. If they were to get an arena built in the right part of that town, I think it could work, and then you might also expand to a place like, I don't know, Houston. Uh, Muko, that. Uh, before we get to the Giants report, Laddie, I will throw to you for the latest World Junior update from the 2018 Canadian World Junior team. As soon as you're done eating your pizza, you had the one from the New Jersey Devils practice. Yeah, well, there's, it's not confirmed yet, but Michael McLeod has been missing, reported missing from the Devils practice. And okay. he's also a member of that 2018 team, but... I did have a What We Learned as well. I don't know if you guys wanted it. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.